BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, friend, and welcome to Foul Play. When you wake up in the morning and set off to work for the day, you assume that it will be just like every other day, don't you? Well, for ex-Deputy Levis Smith Jr., the 24th of June, 1983, had started just like every other. That was until he stopped to grab his morning coffee at the Little Cricket convenience store, which sat at the top of the on-ramp on I-85 North in Anderson, South Carolina. It was 2.45am. The parking lot outside the store was empty, apart from a Ford station wagon. There was nobody else around. Levis entered the store and approached the counter. The door was open and the lights were on but there was nobody there to serve him. He looked around. Nobody was there. He listened. He couldn't hear any movement or noises. He called out, assuming the attendant was out in the back room. But he was met with silence. He started to get an odd feeling. With his background in law enforcement, Levis knew to trust his gut, and at this exact moment... His gut was telling him that something was not right. Levis peered around the counter, but still he saw nobody and heard nothing. The cash register was closed. There was no obvious signs of a struggle, but the silence was enough for Levis to pick up the phone and call the Anderson County Sheriff's Office. The police arrived on the scene within a few minutes and searched the store for the cashier and for any signs of a disturbance. But they came up with nothing. Officer Ashley Scarborough's police report from the night said, quote, On the above date and time, officers were called to Little Cricket Store at the above location, which was I-85-178 Anderson. When officers arrived, the cashier was missing, and the store was left open. 
the vehicle that the cashier was driving was parked outside the store. Her pocketbook was left inside the store with money inside. Her shoes and socks were also left inside. The cash register was locked. When the register was opened, all the bills were removed. The top drawer of the safe was closed, but not locked, and over $2,000 was still inside. After the manager arrived, she stated that approximately $78.82 was missing from the register. The second shift clerk, Tammy Waddell, said that she had stayed with Tina until approximately 1.10 a.m., and no one was in the store when she left. However, she had left enough money in the register to open up on. Mr. Levis Smith stated that he came into the store around 2.45 a.m. and could not find the cashier in the store. Benjamin R. McCannis, who was sleeping outside the restaurant next door, stated he went into the store and bought a drink and the cashier was working then, which was around 1.30 a.m. When he left, there was two white males talking to the cashier. The parking lot, surrounding roads, and area was checked, but no trace was found. The missing person's name on the police report was Tina Marie Hunter Milford, and, based on the witnesses, that were interviewed by the police that night, she must have gone missing between 1.30 and 2.45 a.m. So, what happened to Tina? What made her leave so abruptly? And where was she now? The police contacted Tina's parents, who were convinced that she would never leave work willingly. She was too responsible for that. And she needed the money and couldn't afford to lose her job. It was unfathomable to them that she would just have walked out. And also, she had left her shoes, her purse, and her car behind. It was at this point that Sheriff Dick Cooley changed Tina's status from missing to presumed kidnapped. He issued a BOLO, which is a broadcast from one law enforcement agency to another, alerting everyone to be on the lookout for a 23-year-old white female with blue eyes and reddish blonde hair. Tina was born on New Year's Day in 1960 to parents Leon and Janie Hunter. She grew up with her three siblings, Anne, Denise and Fred, in a Christian home. Tina loved to draw, sing and write songs, and she often sang and played the organ and piano in the local church. We spoke to Susan, one of Tina's childhood friends. I've known Tina since I was seven years old. Uh, me and Tina went through high school together. She was one of my best friends, had been since I was seven. Um, she's a great person. She would do anything for anybody. She's very loving and caring. 
and she was always there for me when I needed her. Her parents, I literally called them mom and dad. They were my second mom and dad. That close. We asked Susan if she was still friends with Tina when she went missing. Uh, we were not hanging out by then. I, you know, I had children, um, and lived a different lifestyle than I did. Susan then elaborated on how and when Tina's lifestyle changed. I kind of think it was in high school. Uh, we stayed close, even though, I mean, it wasn't like she was a bad person. She just hung around with other people, um, mainly from the Belton area that I didn't really associate with. And I guess I was really tied up in my relationships and she was kind of tied up in hers. But, um, I mean, like I say, she was not a bad person. It's just she hung around with people that I just didn't hang around with. So it seems like Susan and Tina grew apart during high school as they met new people and formed new friendship groups. I think that has happened to all of us, hasn't it? As you grow, your interests change, you meet new people and you develop new friendships and acquaintances. But in the background, you still have those friends that you have known nearly your whole life. And if you meet them, you can just pick up where you left off. So as Susan and Tina became teenagers... They started to drift apart a bit, and Tina found a new group of friends that Susan wasn't so keen on. Tina's new friendship groups liked to party, and it was through them, after graduating high school, that Tina met her future husband, Tony Dale Milford. Tony was tall, attractive, blonde and muscular, with a real eye for the ladies. And he set his heart on wooing Tina. Tony and Tina's friendship developed into a romantic relationship and it seems that Tony's charms worked when Tina was just 19 in March 1979 Tina married Tony with Susan there by her side they were excited to start their life together and both moved out of their parents homes and into their first marital home it was a simple mobile home nothing fancy But it was theirs. They continued to party with their friends. And the more they partied, the more drugs became a part of their life. And the more the drugs became a part of their life, the more dependent they became. And the more dependent they became, the harder and more addictive the drugs had to be to satisfy their cravings. So it wasn't long before Tony was taking meth. Unfortunately for Tina, when Tony took meth, he got angry. Really violently angry. Tony would allegedly have fits of uncontrollable anger and would lash out at Tina, leaving her with physical injuries like black eyes, and her body would be covered in bruises and cigarette burns. From medical reports the family have obtained, we know that Tina was seen a number of times at her local AnMed hospital due to the injuries that she sustained from these beatings. Susan, Tina's childhood friend, 
told us that she never warmed to Tony. The few times I was around Tony when I was in high school, I mean, he was a pretty cool dude then, but it kind of like, I don't know, um, Jekyll and Hyde, Hyde personality, because he could be one way one minute and I think a different way the next. We asked Susan if she ever saw Tony get angry or violent. No, not in front of me because I'm very outspoken. It might turn bad against me, but I'm really outspoken when it comes to somebody physically or, or physically, mentally, any type of abuse towards somebody that's in my presence. Susan went on to say, but Tina became distant. I didn't like Tony. Uh, Tony really tried to keep her to me away from her friends, kind of isolating her in a way. Um, several times when I would run into her at her mom's, because her mom kept my first son and as babysitting for me. And when I would run into her, there was several times that she had bruises or she would have on dark sunglasses and I I would say something to her and it was like it's okay it's okay when I knew it wasn't okay from what Susan said it sounds like Tina was not only in a physically abusive relationship with Tony it sounds like he was also controlling her life and mentally abusing her by keeping her away from her friends and family. The only really time I got to see or talk to her was around her mom. And then, two years into their marriage, they fell pregnant, welcoming a beautiful daughter, Crystal, into their life. Tina prayed that this would calm Tony down and that a child would make all the difference to their relationship. But the abuse continued. Tina was broken. She just couldn't take it anymore. And filed for divorce on the grounds of physical cruelty. The divorce process was hard on Tina, but she knew that the end was finally in sight. She would soon be free to live her life how she wanted, to not be in fear of beatings and abuse, and she would be able to create a safe environment for her daughter to grow up in. They were so close. In fact, the final hearing to finalise the divorce and make permanent custody-related arrangements was scheduled for the 24th of June, 1983. The exact date that Tina went missing. What a coincidence. The hearing went ahead in Tina's absence and the judge ruled that Tony was an unfit parent and granted Tina the mobile home, all of the house contents the couple's Harley-Davidson, and custody of their daughter, Crystal, with Tony being ordered to pay child support. So, was Tina's disappearance early in the morning, the day her divorce was to be finalised, a coincidence? Do you believe she went missing of her own accord? Or maybe you agree with her parents that she would never have left her job and so she must have been kidnapped? 
Whatever happened to Tina in the early hours of that morning in the quiet southern town of Anderson, as dawn broke and the town began to wake up, it was the horrifying news of Tina's suspected kidnapping. Thank you for listening to episode one of What's Happened to Tina Milford. In episode two, we find out where Tina disappeared to in the middle of the night. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact the Anderson County Sheriff's Department. Or if you would prefer to remain anonymous, head over to our website, itsfoulplay.com, and tell us what you know so that we can pass the information on. 